Who is like the wise person and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom brightens his face and the sternness of his face is changed. Keep the king's command because of your oath made before God. Do not be in a hurry. Leave his presence and don't persist in a bad cause since he will do whatever he wants. For the king's word is authoritative and who can say to him, what are you doing? The one who keeps a command will not experience anything harmful and a wise heart knows the right time and procedure. For every activity, there is a right time and procedure, even though the man's troubles are heavy on him. Yet no one knows what will happen, because who can tell him what will happen? No one has authority over the wind to restrain it, and there is no authority over the day of death. There is no furlough in battle, and wickedness will not allow those who practice it to escape. All this I have seen, applying my mind to all the work that is done under the sun, at a time when one man has authority over such another to his harm. In such circumstances, I saw the wicked buried. They came and went from the holy place, and they were praised in the city where they did so. This too is futile. Because the sentence against a criminal act is not carried out quickly, the heart of people is filled with a desire to commit crime. Although a sinner commits crime a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I also know that it will go well with God-fearing people, for they are reverent before him. However, it will not go well with the wicked, and they will not lengthen their days like a shadow for they are not reverent before God. There is a futility that is done on the earth. There are righteous people who get what the actions of the wicked deserve, and there are wicked people who get what the actions of the righteous deserve. I say that this too is futile. So I commended enjoyment, because there is nothing better for man under the sun than to eat, drink, and enjoy himself. For this will accompany him in his labor during the days of his life that God gives him under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the activity that is done on the earth, even though one's eyes do not close in sleep day or night, I observed all the work of God and concluded that man is unable to discover the work that is done under the sun. Even though a man labors hard to explore it, he cannot find it. Even if the wise man claims to know it, he is unable to discover it. Well, speaking of being here, to look across this room, there are two types of folks who are here in this room. Uh, there are those of you in this room that are the rule followers. And then there are those of you who are in this room, you are the rule breakers, you're rebels. We got rule, we got rule followers in the room, and then we have rebels in the room. The reality is, the reality is for all of us in this room, we, it, it, for all of us, we are people who live under authority whether we like that or not. Each one of us in this room, all of us, we live under authority. And there's some of us, the rule followers, you love it. And there's others of you who are just like, I cannot stand rules. And I cannot stand authority. None of us like being told what to do, for most of us, I should say. But we are told what to do every single day of our lives. In fact, the government tells you, like, who can drive your car, right? So when you got into your car today, when I got into my car today, I can just tell you this, first of all, that uh, my one-year-old boys, Jude and Justice, did not drive me to the BCM. First of all, that would have been pretty incredible, all right, if I made it, you know. But there are rules. Like, the government will tell you who can drive your car, who cannot drive your car, right, Eli, back in the back. I mean, hoping to be going to law enforcement. Thank God for our law enforcement people, you know what I mean? But... Uh, uh, listen, listen, if you have your little brother, your little sister driving, okay, a car in the future and Eli finds you, he's an officer, he's going to pull you over and don't even say, I'm a rule follower. He's going to say, no, you're a rule breaker. 
Here's a ticket. Not only, not only that, but uh, the government tells you what is allowed and what isn't allowed while you're driving. Like, uh, there's no texting and driving. Some of you broke that rule today already, right? Uh, there is also a speed limit. Some of you look at it as a speed suggestion, you know. Uh, there is a red light, and at a red light, we're supposed to do what? Some of you need to practice that. Um, at a yellow light, you're supposed to do what? Uh-huh, yes, yes. Yeah, somebody said, somebody said, speed up. <laughs> Man, my goodness, a lot of rebels up in here. Uh, but, uh, and not only that, but at a green light, you're supposed to what? If at the yellow, you're supposed, if at the yellow, for the person said, speed up, what do you do at the green light? You really go, I guess, you know what I mean? There are rules. There are rules. There are things that you can do and you cannot do. And here's the deal. If you break any of those laws, a law enforcement officer, okay, uh, can make sure, they can, they can unleash judgment on you. They can give you a ticket. As we dive into Ecclesiastes chapter 8, and I promise you we're not going to be here for a long time tonight, we're going to wrestle a bit with the topic of authority. And I've preached a lot of sermons, but I was just telling some friends earlier today that I don't think I've ever preached a sermon on authority. And it's not because it isn't in Scripture. <laughs> Maybe just because I've just like gone around it. I don't know what that makes me. But because we've been walking through the book of Ecclesiastes, I am grateful that we are part of a ministry who believes in the full counsel of the Word of God. Amen? Whether we like it or not, we don't approach God's Word like it's a buffet. You know, you ever been to a Chinese buffet before? I know when I go to, I love going to a Chinese buffet. If I could, I would go probably pretty much every single day of my life, Kai. But my wife, she will not allow me. Isn't that terrible? I mean, <laughs> I mean but when I go to a, a uh, you know, a, a Chinese buffet, there are things that I put onto my plate, you know, like uh, the fried rice, the uh, the crab raccoons. Oh, I love that, man. And uh, the sweet and sour sauce, I just throw it on there. You're like, Jay, you, you're crazy. You're going to get diabetes. I'm going to die anyway. You know what I'm saying? Like, there are other things, though, that I look at when I go through the, the Chinese buffets. And I'm like, I am not putting that on my plate because I don't know what that is. I have no clue. I don't want it. It doesn't look good to the eye, and it's probably not going to taste good to my, my tongue or in my tummy. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes we have that same approach when it comes to the Word of God. There are things where like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. Oh, man, God loves me. He died for me. Praise God. And that is good news. But then there's other things like when it comes to the topic of authority, Savannah, we're like, uh-uh. I think I'll skip over that one. But we're not skipping over it. Jay Sanders isn't either. <laughs> Maybe I wish I could, but I can't because this is my assignment for tonight, and this is where we are tonight talking about authority. But not only are we talking about authority tonight, but we're going to also hit on inequities and wisdom. We're going to pray that wisdom would give us some wisdom along the way as we wrestle with these things. This probably will not be your favorite message that you've ever heard part from the, the lips of Jay Sanders before, because talking about authority, it, no matter how you dress it up, it just isn't sexy. I'm just telling you. Talking about it, listening to it, I mean, it's just not necessarily uh, our cup of tea. It's not the thing that we naturally would go to, but this is where we are tonight. Over the last couple of weeks, if you've just, been, if you just joined us, first of all, welcome. Make some noise for the first time people who are here tonight. <laughs> So we're glad that you are here. You don't have to duck. You don't have to run out. We're not going to embarrass you. We're just saying, welcome. Welcome to the family. If you're joining us, you need to know that we've been on a journey uh, this semester, this fall. We've been walking through the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's really just one thing we want you to know. If you miss it all, it's all meaningless. I'm just kidding. Uh, but there is a lot that's been in the book of Ecclesiastes. 
as we've been learning along the way from a real dude. He's not a fictional character. His name was Solomon. And this book is written about a real dude who went on this great experiment. He tried all of these things under the sun, trying to find satisfaction. And ultimately, he realized, man, in and of themselves, those things could not satisfy. You say, Jay, what were some of those things? Well, he tried work. Nothing wrong with work, but in and of itself, it does not satisfy under the sun. He tried wine or pleasure or tried women and wealth and earthly wisdom, and none of those things brought about satisfaction. You've heard me say this uh, in our journeys. We've been talking about the book of Ecclesiastes, that when facing something new, follow someone old. And Solomon, at this point, he's an old dude. He is just spitting a lot of just like life wisdom. And so here we are now in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 tonight. Like what I want us to do, and um, Chip did a great job reading through all of Ecclesiastes 8. What I want us to do is as we journey through this, we'll read a verse or several verses, and then we'll wrestle with the biblical principle and we'll continue on, if that's okay tonight. So, Let's begin. In Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 1, you can keep your Bible open in front of you. Uh, Here's what it says in my Bible here. It says, who is like the wise person and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom, scripture says, brightens his face and sternness of his face is changed. Interesting words. Here's the first biblical principle. You ready for it? That is this. Wisdom, godly wisdom impacts the inside and the outside of a person. Godly wisdom, when you really got it, it not only, man, has an impact on your heart, on the inside of a person, but also on the outside of a person. Here's one of the phrases that's used here uh, in uh, my Bible. It says this, a man's wisdom brightens his face. Where the ladies at? Ladies, make some noise in the house. This includes you too, okay? If you're like, oh, this is for guys. No, no, no. It's for all of us. Guys and girls, you have godly wisdom. It says, listen, it brightens the face. It means, it means his face is visibly gracious in his demeanor. And then he uses these interesting words here, too. It says the sternness of his face is change. A wise life doesn't just change your heart appearance, but your literal appearance. It changes the way you think, the way you act, the way you live. It also has an impact on how you look when you're on the outside. You ever seen a person that you didn't even know like that, but you're like, they look kind of wise. <laughs> And not just like earthly wisdom, but just like they look like they're godly and they have some godly wisdom. Wisdom has a way of doing that. Remember this, true wisdom is living life the way God has designed. Not what your professor is spitting, okay? And I'm not saying no, this to your professor. I'm sure you got some great professors that spit some, some great things, some good wisdom. But I've heard some of you tell me too, you got some professors that, well, we just don't even talk about it. But true wisdom is living the life the way that God has designed. Let's look at verses 2 through 4 in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 really quickly here. It says, Keep the king's command because of your oath made before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave his presence, and don't persist in a bad call since he will do whatever he wants. For the king's word is authoritative, and who can say to him, What are you doing? Here's the second biblical principle for us tonight. Biblical principle number two, the wise man learns, or woman, okay, learns how to serve and submit to the authorities over him while remembering that God is our ultimate judge. Now stick with me. I got to be honest with y'all. When I read these verses right here, verses two to four, brother, 
they initially did not resonate with me. And honestly, my sisters in the room, I really didn't necessarily even like them. Can sometimes hesitate when it comes to authority. And all of my little rebels in the room, some of you are like me. I can sometimes hesitate when it comes to authority because all of us know we live in a broken world. And authority at times as well can be broken. And these verses are asking us to do something that doesn't come naturally to us. Submit to authority. Before Solomon wrote write this, I thought to myself as I was reading this, of course, Solomon, he's a king. Duh, of course he would say, you need to submit to the king. But it actually is a biblical principle. We are called, specifically for those of us in the room who are Christ followers. And if you are not, you're not judged. You're welcome here. But if you are a Christ follower, we are called to submit to authority in our lives. And God doesn't really ask me, Jay Sanders, or you how you feel about it. It just is what it is. The truth is that God has ordained authority in our lives. Now, God, he has the sole authority in our lives. His word has final authority, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. But there are four human institutions of authority that God has placed in our lives. And maybe you've heard of them before. They won't be on the screen, but you can write them down. Because why? You're smart people. Here's the first one. That is this, the family. The family. It's one place of authority that God has placed in our life. Now, some of us in the room, you love that. Some of you in the room, you bristle against that. The church is also another place of authority. According to Ephesians 5, the Lord has instituted. In Colossians 3, it also highlights another authority that God has instituted in our life. It actually uses the word masters. We don't say that. Another way of saying that is bosses. Anybody have a boss in the room? Raise your hand. You work somewhere, you employ it, you got a J-O-B. Good for you. You have a manager, you got a boss. God calls us to submit to our bosses. Here's the other one. Government. According to 1 Peter chapter 3 and Romans 3, it talks about government. It's also been instituted by God as authority in our life that we are called to submit to. Now listen to me carefully. If your right ear, if you have trouble hearing out of your right ear, lean in with your left ear, okay? I want you to hear me with your good ear. We are to submit to the authority in our lives until it causes us to break God's way. We are called to submit to the authority in our life unless it goes against God's word. So if my family wants me to do something that is contrary to God's word, God's word wins every time. Christ follower. If my church wants me to do something that is contrary to God's word, no matter how great the music is and how great the pastor dresses, God's word wins every single time. If my boss wants me to do something contrary to God's word, God's word wins every time. Just biblical. Here's the last thing. If my government or my favorite political party, whatever that may be, wants me to do something that is contrary to God's word, God's word is to win every single time for Christ's Father. Can I get an amen in the house? 
Believers should approach authority with submission, not with skepticism. We should walk with humility, not with hostility. Those words don't always mark a Christian, unfortunately, as they should. Let me ask you a question as I ask myself this. Are you a joy to lead? Like whoever it is that's leading you, would they say they're a joy to lead? They are a joy to lead. Like whoever it is that leads your president, Kevin, right here. They say, man, Kevin, he's a joy to lead. Or they say he's a burden to lead. Now, I pick on Kevin because Kevin is a joy to lead. When it comes to you, are you a joy to lead? When it comes to McKinsey, now, Ms. McKinsey, is she a joy to lead? I don't know. Depends on the day. I'm just kidding. Are you a joy to lead? And I ask that for myself, too, not just for you guys, but I didn't really think about this. Is Jay a joy to lead? I have a boss. Would my boss say, man, yeah, Jay's a joy to lead? Or would he say, no, he's a burden to lead? And even though you and I may have times when we don't like the authority that is over us, it doesn't give us a pass not to submit. Did you hear me? There will be times in your life and in my life where we will have people in authority that we don't necessarily even like or necessarily even line up with 100% of the time. However, it doesn't give us a pass not to submit to their authority. Romans 13.1, you can just write this down as a bonus. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions have been placed there by God. Scripture says, 1 Peter 2.13 says this, For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. That's in 1 Peter 2.13. Now, Meek, let's just talk for a minute. One of the things I really think is really interesting about 1 Peter and this statement in 1 Peter, something that's crazy to me, is that Nero was in charge during this time. You know anything about Nero? Was he a good dude? He was not a good guy. He was not a good guy. And yet these words are penned, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. Really? When you have a guy like Nero who's in charge? For those of you who are in the room, we're like, okay, please bring me into the conversation. I don't know much about Nero. He was the guy who started state-sponsored terrorism over Christians. Does that sound like a guy that uh, is a nice guy to you? Anybody? We go to Applebee's with him? Share Chick-fil-A with Nero? I don't think so. He killed his mom? Sound like a good dude to you? Ladies want to date him? I don't think so. He killed his first wife and most likely his second wife? He was not a good guy. Yet, 1 Peter 2.13, it says, For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. We submit to authority not because we like them or because necessarily, not necessarily because they are good people, but because God has established their authority over us. He has ordained it to do so. I really cannot stand right now going to my mailbox. You say, Jay, is it because there's bills? It's always bills, it seems like. They just keep coming. But right now in America, every couple of years, we have something called midterms and elections. Right now in my mailbox, it is full of all of this, like this promo or uh, uh, politics. Um, I don't know what you want to call it. Marketing. Campaigning that's going on for all the candidates who are running for the different offices. And I'm over it. I am over it. 
in a couple of weeks, I'm so excited because it's going to be over. And you're just wasting your paper as they send it to my house. Maybe not to yours, but to mine, I'm like, this is a waste. I just throw it in the trash can. But in a couple of weeks, there's going to be some folks that are going to be really excited. And there's going to be some folks that are going to be really upset. And they're not going to be happy about the folks who were chosen or they're going to be put in charge. It happens all of the time. Hey, remember this, specifically those of you who are Christians. Even if your team doesn't win, whatever that team may be, we submit to authority not because we like them, not even because they are good people, but because God has established authority over us and he's ordained it to be so that those individuals would be in charge. And not only that, at the end of the day, if you are a Christ follower in this room, this world is not our home. And if you've read the entire Bible, at least if you just go to the end, you know no matter what, no matter how this may end up, we are always going to be on the victory side. We are citizens of heaven. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 5 through 8 says this, the one who keeps a command will not experience anything harmful, okay? And a wise heart knows the right time and procedure for every activity there is a right time and procedure. And even though a man's troubles are heavy on him, verse 7 says, yet no one knows what will happen because we can tell him what will happen. No one has authority over the wind to restrain it, and there is no authority over the day of death. There is no furlough in battle, and wickedness will not allow those who practice it to escape. Here's the next biblical principle really quickly. Biblical principle number three, wise people are discerning people. Yeah, we're called to submit to authority, but not just blindly. Solomon says, when you obey, you avoid punishment. That makes sense. It certainly made sense in the Sanders house, the house that I grew up in. And I obeyed. I avoided punishment. But there was times, though, when I, did, when I disobeyed, <laughs> my mama, she did not play no games, let me just tell you, and I deserved every moment of it. But it's good and wise to keep the king's commands while we use judgment. Good can come to us if we honor authority, but the best will come to us if we honor God's authority because he is supreme. So Solomon says, it's best you learn when to submit and when also to reject. In Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 9 and 10, you're like, wow, we are moving through this. Yes, we are. Here's what it says. All this I have seen apply my mind to all the work that is done under the sun. At a time when one man has authority over another to harm to his harm, let me read that again. All this I have seen applying in my mind to all the work that is done under the sun. At a time when one man has authority over another to his harm. Interesting. Verse 10 says, In such circumstances, I saw the wicked buried. They came and they went from the holy place, and they were praised in the city where they did so. This, too, is futile. Biblical principle number four is this. The abuse of authority hurts people. Because we live in a broken world, because of sin, it will be those who are in authority in any arena, you just name it, including in the church, including in the ministry world, who will misuse their authority, therefore hurting individuals. Solomon says, life is not fair. Humanity is broken. 
There will be those in authority who abuse their authority and cause real pain. Since we're family, we love to be honest around here. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would just be honest right now? You don't have to. I just thought I'd ask. But say, Jay, there's been a time in my life when, honestly, I was deeply hurt by someone who was in authority who misused their power. Raise your hands. Anybody? Anyone? Look around the room. Scripture is it's true. The abuse of authority hurts people. And it's possible that that experience happened to you. Maybe it was just a couple of days ago, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago. Maybe for some of you it was a couple of years ago, but it still hurts. Maybe what you need to hear tonight is that God, he's a healer. I'm so sorry that someone misused their authority over you and caused that kind of pain and trauma to your life. But God, he can heal. If you would give him the chance, he'll bring about the healing that you need. It may not happen overnight, but in time, he will provide the healing bomb that your soul and spirit and emotion needs. And I would also say to you, don't live your life in bitterness and unforgiveness. I've been there. It only paralyzes you. It doesn't hurt the other individual. So ask the Lord to help you identify what debt do you believe that that individual or individuals owe you, and then ask the Lord to help you release them of that debt. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11 through 13, because of the sentence of a criminal act is not carried out quickly. This is so interesting. The heart of people is filled with the desire to commit crime. Let me read that again. I don't want us to miss that. Because the sentence of the criminal act is not carried out quickly, the heart of people is filled with the desire to, com to commit crime. We see this in our society today. I'll come back and explain this to them. Although a sinner commits crime a hundred times and prolongs his life, it seems. Stick with me now. A, a sinner commits a crime hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I also know that it will go well with God-fearing people. For they are revving before him, being God. However, it will not go well with the wicked, and they will not lengthen their days like a shadow, for they are not reverent before God. Here's biblical principle number five. The wicked will eventually come to ruin. It may seem like they're getting away with all of their trespasses, but eventually, in God's timing, they will come to ruin. It may not be today, but the day is coming. Listen to these words again in verse 11. Because the sentence of a criminal act is not carried out quickly, the heart of people is filled with the desire to commit crime. And I first read that, I was like, what in the world is Solomon saying? And I think this is what he is saying. When evil is not rightly dealt with, it continues. When evil is not rightly dealt with in a society, it grows. It continues. When evildoers go unpunished in our society, others in society say, sign me up for that. Have you seen that happen before? When it seems like evildoers are celebrated, they become like celebrities, then other people in the society says, man, sign me up. I want to be on that team. This is also how habitual sin, I would say, is developed in one's life as well. Some of you in this room, you look good, you sound good, you, you look clean, got a smile on your face. But the truth is, 
that for some of you, you are struggling, and you are struggling with habitual sin in your life. It is that thing that you're trying to get underneath. You want to be free from, but it has mastered you. It brings you temporary pleasure. Habitual sin in our lives can be developed in this way. When our sin goes unpunished, we continue in it habitually until eventually it ruins our lives. Listen to me. Sin, I know this is not pretty. It doesn't really inspire you. It doesn't make you want to sing. But sin, according to Scripture, it always brings about death. Maybe not physical death, but emotional death, relational death. At some point, at some time, it's going to bring about death. And so that sin, if it wasn't fun, we wouldn't sin. We wouldn't do it. But there's some things that you may be caught in, and you may think, man, I'm not getting in trouble for it. God's not judging me for it. No one else knows about it. Oh, God knows. He's just been gracious and kind to you. He's been patient with you. I know that because it's been the same way even in my own life. Maybe you ask yourself, okay, here's the deal. Why won't God just judge the evildoers now? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, there's, if there's evil just rampant in our world and God has the ability to judge, why won't he just judge the wicked now? I think the Bible has an answer for that. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you. Anybody grateful for the patience of God? I know that I am. We can look out there and say, man, that person is wicked. We are all sinners. Jay Sanders first. We all fall short. It is for us that we have a scale of things, man. When you do this, you're really wicked. Like if you are Jeffrey Dahmer, you are wicked. Maybe you say, but if I tell a little lie, if I gossip, oh, that doesn't really matter. No, 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 no. He's patient with a Jeffrey Dahmer. He's patient with you. He is patient with you. Why? Because he's not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Anybody grateful for that? That is the good news of the gospel. So God doesn't judge now because he wants to restore wickedness. That is his heart. He doesn't want to judge now because he, he wants to justify. He is patient. But for some, God's patience will lead us into a state of repentance. Where we recognize, man, I'm going in the wrong direction and God has the best way. And so with this help, I'm going to go in a different direction. But for some, God's patience will lead you into a continual state of rebellion. There's some of you who are here tonight, and you love being a rebel, and you love being a rebel in your sin, and God hasn't judged you, and you're even here like God is patient, and you're just like, okay, let it be patient. And it's not leading you to repentance. It's just leading you more and more into your rebellion. I'm just telling you tonight, through with the help of the Spirit of God, there will come a day, and it may not be today, that your life will come to ruin. And maybe that is why the Lord brought you here tonight, so that you can turn away from your sin. So you can repent from your sin. You say, I don't like that. I don't like how, man, you make me feel. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. I love you enough to tell you the truth. And there are things in Scripture that I don't necessarily like either, but that is the mercy and the grace of God that he will confront us in our sin. Why? So that we would turn back to him. His way is better. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 14 and 15 says this, There is futility that is done on the earth. There are righteous people who get what the actions of the wicked deserve, which doesn't make any sense to me at all. I'm just having a conversation. It really doesn't. 
and there are wicked people who get what the actions of the righteous deserve. I say this too is futile. So I commended enjoyment because there's nothing better for a man under the sun than to eat, drink, and enjoy himself. For this will accompany him in his labor during the days of his life that God gives him under the sun. Biblical principle number six, we're almost finished. The wise person trusts God as the ultimate authority. Verse 14 and verse 15 are statements of a person. Solomon, who was living with the full trust in God. It isn't like, he doesn't look at the world and go, man, man, this world is just so messed up. So you know what? I might as well then just like eat, drink, and enjoy myself. No, 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 no. He has full trust in God. And although I don't understand what the authorities are doing and what's going on here on the planet, I submit to them because God has established them. God knows what's best. Is there anybody in the room who believes in your heart that God knows what's best even when you don't know? Can you raise your hand? Has there been times in your life where you're like, I don't know what in the world is going on, but I just believe that God, he knows what's best. Not quite sure how this is all going to work out, but God knows what's best. He knows what's best with that piano too back there. <laughs> I'm sure McKenzie's face was like, uh-oh. Here's the last principle, and we'll be finishing. I love y'all. When I applied my mind, he says, to know wisdom and to observe the activity that is done under the earth, even though one's eyes do not close and sleep day or night, I observed, verse 17, all the work of God and concluded, he says, Kevin, that man is unable to discover the work that is done under the sun. And even though a man labors hard to explore it, he cannot find it. And even if the wise man claims to know it, Audrey, he says, he is unable to discover it. Interesting. Biblical principle number seven. The last one for tonight. There are some things that only God knows. And the wise people understand. There are some things that only God knows. So it's okay. You don't have to be a know-it-all. Some of you, you stay up all night. You are restless. You don't even sleep because you're trying to figure different things out that's going on under the sun. How's that going for you? Besides being tired and cranky. Feel more wise? Feel smarter? Nah. But there is one person who doesn't need any rest. He's up at all hours. He sees all and he knows all. And I'm okay with that because God is God and I am not. And if God could fit in my little small little box, I'm not quite sure I would want to trust him or follow him. Solomon's conclusion is this. We must be content to not know everything. Here are some smart college students in this room. Your IQ is, whoo, it's high. But it's okay not to know everything. There's only one person who knows it all. His name is God. There is an old hymn. An oldie but goodie. Maybe you've heard your grandparents sing it. Maybe not. I'm not going to sing it for you. Call your grandma. She can sing it for you. But I will quote the words from this one hymn that I think is good for us. 
It's applicable at this time and this moment. Trust and obey. For there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to do what? Trust and obey. Trust and obey. My mom, she used to say to me, when I was being a rebel, meek, she would say to me, which was a lot of times. She would say, right away, we obey. And then it got to the point where she would say, right away, finish the sentence, Jonathan. We obey? Yeah. So obey. <laughs> I guess we can respond to this message in many ways. I'm not trying to manipulate you or any of those things. Never, ever. But I just know one of my heart's response was after reading this chapter, which is a really tough chapter, at least for me to kind of like navigate through, was this. It was this phrase right here. You can put it up on the screen. God, I can't, you can help me. God, when it comes to some authority, I don't know. I don't know how I feel. I can't, you can And maybe those words resonate with you, and you need to make those words your prayer, your response, even tonight. Maybe this needs to be your response tonight because you're finding it hard to submit to current authorities that are in your life. You want to tell me about it? God knows. Maybe these words need to be your prayer tonight. God, I can't, you can help me because you are struggling to like a person who is in authority over you right now in this season of life. Maybe these words need to become your prayer, your heart's response, and light of what we've heard from Scripture tonight because someone in power has deeply hurt you because they've misused their authority in your life. It's possible that these words, God, I can't, you can, help me, need to be your heart's response tonight because you recognize you're living in rebellion you have found a home in rebellion and you recognize that God is saying, it's time for you to repent and to come home. Maybe these need to be your words tonight because you have found, you are that person that has been living with an habitual sin in your life and you can't seem to find an off-ramp. You're just on that highway of habitual sin. But God is gracious and kind. And he forgives he separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. You know how far that is? Really far. So far, the two will never touch. And when God forgives, something that is just amazing, Ava, is in that moment, I remember my sin until I remember that God no longer remembers my sin. It's been dealt with at the cross. 